Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together this morning, continuing our worship of You. I pray that we respond appropriately to who you are when doing so, because after all, that's what worship is. I pray we allow your word now to penetrate our hearts to spur us on towards Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Well, half of this image that you're about ready to see here this morning reminds me of a pop song that came out in 1988. So those of you who are into pop music or maybe you're into pop culture back in the 80s, then you gave that bad habit up in the 90s. Let's see if you just know what these these lyrics are from or where these lyrics are from. I just want to read these really quick. You guys ready? Okay. Now, mind you, you have the image. Thank you for the drum roll, Mr. Greg. He's a cold-hearted snake. Look into his eyes. Uh Uh-oh. He's been telling lies. He's a lover boy at play. He don't play by the rules. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah. 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 Pastor Jared's wife, Heather, reluctantly said, yeah, I know where that's from. It's actually a song called Cold Hearted from none other than, you guys would remember her from American Idol, Paula Abdul. I don't know if you remember this song. I was a young child when the song came out, but I definitely remember it. But I don't want to read these lyrics one more time. He's a cold-hearted snake. Look into his eyes. Uh-oh, he's been telling lies. He's a lover boy at play. He don't play by the rules. Sounds a lot like our adversary to me. I don't know about you. And think about this image as we say that. The adjective cold-hearted means to be lacking in affection, to be unfeeling. Cold-hearted used in a sentence would look like this. You could say the cold-hearted thief broke into the home and stole all the children's Christmas presents. See, that sounds like our adversary because brothers and sisters, our adversary is in fact cold-hearted. Let's look at John 10.10. Jesus himself says this. He said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, sin, our sinfulness, reveals our heart of stone or our cold heart. We are cold-hearted naturally due to our first birth. And this is why God says in Ezekiel 36.26 that you see on your screen right now, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's a cold-hearted snake. Look into his eyes. Uh Uh-oh. He's been telling lies, and he does not play 
by the rules. Not only is our adversary a cold-hearted snake who's been telling lies, he also doesn't play by the rules in church. He doesn't want you to play by the rules either. Brothers and sisters, the rules that we're talking about are God's rules. And His rules come in the form of commandments, and God's rules come in the form of a covenant. Which is why we've titled our sermon this morning this, A Better Covenant. A Better Covenant. Because it's not like God has only had one covenant with His people, but He has improved upon former covenants. Today we're going to be in the text of Hebrews 8, specifically looking at verses 6-13. through 13. A few weeks ago, when we were still in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1-5, through 5, Pastor Jared reminded us and encouraged us that no religion could ever accomplish what Jesus did for mankind. Therefore, no religion or no man could ever accomplish for us what Jesus accomplished upon the cross. And when we say that, we're not just talking about other men or other religions. No, no, no. See, this is where you can't get it twisted this morning. We're talking about you. You can't accomplish what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Some of us think we can. Some of us claim the name of Jesus while we're actually trying to accomplish it ourselves. Church, that's why we come to hear. Because sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not doing things appropriately. And we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us of the gospel. Not to tear us down. Not to be Christians who shoot their own wounded. But to be held accountable. And when we open God's Word, like we are today in Hebrews chapter 8, that's exactly what we're allowing God's Word to do for us, to hold us accountable. Today we're going to be encouraged in the work of Jesus, a better covenant written upon our hearts. We're going to see that this morning. And Without any more being said, let's go ahead and get into our text this morning and see specifically what God's Word has for us. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. 
And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. Amen. We're going to put these eight verses into this one simple sentence. And that sentence states this. God has agreed that we can know Him because our sins have been forgiven through Jesus. Now, in your bulletin, this one might be a little bit different, but it's still saying the same thing. God has agreed that we can know Him and His mercy because our sins have been forgiven through Jesus. To know God is to also know of His mercy. So we're able to know of God's mercy, but first God had to agree. See, it's not our decision. God had to agree to allow us to know of His mercy. But it's only because we have first been forgiven through Jesus. So, in appreciation for our year 1988 pop music, you guys know the gloved one. You can't go wrong with Michael Jackson back in the 80s as far as it was for making number one pop chart-topping singles. So we're going to stick with 1988 here. And this one from Michael Jackson is from The Man in the Mirror. And you have the lyrics right there. I just want to read them so we are refreshed with what the lyrics from the chorus said in this song. It said, I'm starting with The Man in the Mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways, and no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you were ever going to think you're going to hear this one in church. But this is precisely the purpose of the law of Moses. This is precisely the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Now, don't get it wrong and don't you go thinking that I'm saying that Michael Jackson or whoever wrote this song was thinking of the Ten Commandments when he was talking about looking in the mirror and making change because that's not where we're going. The Ten Commandments are intended to reveal our sinfulness. I don't think Michael Jackson was too concerned about sinfulness. See, this is all about an honest self-evaluation. The Ten Commandments are intended for us to look at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah, that man in the mirror. When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you take an honest self-evaluation of who you are without Jesus? And then understand who you are now because of your faith in Him and His Work. See, that's all the Ten Commandments were intended to do. And we're going to get right into this. But unfortunately, what we need to understand first, it's the, not the man in the mirror who does this for us. So even when you take that honest self-evaluation, 
It's not actually you revealing the self to you. No, it's the Holy Spirit that the Lord has put into your heart because of your faith in Jesus. And remember, God has given us his spirit if we have faith in Jesus because we were first and foremost, because of our first birth, cold-hearted. Let's get into this text here. Verses 6, 7, and 13. These are the verses that we're really going to be honing in on this morning. Just these three verses here. Still, we're going to be covering all of them, but as it is, as it says, it starts off, but as it is, this indicates a contrast between what we're looking at this morning and what Pastor Jared preached a few Sundays ago. See, really, verse 6 needs to be compared to verse 4. The very beginning of verse 4 says this. So the reason why it started off by saying, but as it is, is because of what it said in verse 4. The first part of verse 4 said, but if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Now the second part of verse 4 says this, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. See, this was written the way it was written when it was written because the temple had yet to be destructed. The temple was not destructed until 70 A.D. So there were still Jewish priests offering sacrifice, performing the priestly function. But today, it would be so hard, nearly impossible to be a Jew, truly, because there is no temple. There are no sacrifices currently. We know that that's true, because of the ultimate sacrifice being achieved in Jesus. The ministry of Jesus, speaking of Jesus, as it says here in our text this morning, is more excellent. He serves from an eternal sanctuary. Now, one thing we can't do is go ahead and call this auditorium a sanctuary. This is not a sanctuary. This is an auditorium. The only sanctuary that matters or that is truly in existence today is where Jesus is now currently. And his sanctuary is eternal. The ministry of Jesus is more excellent than the old, it says, because the old covenant was the ceremonial law of bondage. That was the man in the mirror. That was when you took that honest self-evaluation of who you were in your sinfulness prior to knowing Jesus. Even the Jews had to look at the law in the same way. The law was intended to lead them to Christ after they looked at themselves and realized, I do not stand up. This is what God says according to His rules what will lead to righteousness but yet I can't keep any of these. See, the new covenant, God's new agreement with us, as it says, is enacted on better promises. Because we are looking at ourselves in the mirror and taking that honest self-evaluation, we realize that we are inherently sinful, therefore we need a perfect sacrifice in Jesus, but that is called grace. Jesus is God's grace extended to us, and because 
God has extended us his grace, we realize that he has given us faith because grace is a gift that leads to faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Church, this new covenant is better. The promises are better because of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, we we know this is true, though, because of what it says here in verse 6. See the word? Mediates. Jesus is the middleman who brings us to God. This is the new agreement. We can't go to God without first going through Jesus because after all, Jesus himself is God. For a moment, let's dig deeper into the better promises of the new covenant. There are three. So those of you who take notes, you could jot some of these down. But we're going to dig just a little bit deeper into these three things that have everything to do with the better promises. And first and foremost, one of the better promises, according to the new covenant, is inner knowledge. God has written his law on our hearts. Not only do we see a little bit of God's transformation or transformative work on our hearts in Ezekiel, but specifically in our verses today, we see God's work in Jeremiah. If God has written his law on our hearts, if God has written his set of rules on our hearts, compare that to the cold-hearted snake that our adversary is. That heart of stone that we were born into. Again, not only is our adversary a cold-hearted snake who's been telling lies He also doesn't play by the rules. And as we've stated, he doesn't want you to play by the rules either. Brothers and sisters, the rules are not our rules. The rules are God's rules. And his rules come in the form of commandments. His rules come in the form of a covenant. His rules in the form of a covenant that have been written Upon our hearts. Better promises also indicate better intimacy or intimacy with God. That's the second thing that we see from these better promises. We can now have an intimate relationship with the Lord. From the least to the greatest shall know the Lord. All who have a saving faith in Jesus will know the Lord. I think most importantly for us as it pertains to the church age, the third thing that we see in these better promises comes in the form of mercy. For I will be merciful, it says, toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Faith in Jesus causes God to have amnesia. I was reading an account this week, and somebody would have disagreed with that statement. They would say that God doesn't necessarily forget, but 
I would disagree with that. I understand where they're coming from because God is all-knowing, but in perfection, who are we to say God couldn't perfectly have amnesia? Because after all, what does his word tell us? He will remember our iniquities no more. Church, we could all take advantage. We should all take advantage of that amnesia. We should all do so, especially as we think about the man in the mirror, when we look at the man in the mirror. An honest self-evaluation reveals our inability to keep the law. We all lie. I'm going I'm to say that again. We all lie. All of you lie. You all cheat. We all steal. We all lust. We all worship other gods. We all harbor covetousness in our hearts. There is not one of the Ten Commandments that not one of us hasn't kept. We're all guilty of all ten. Because after all, what does Jesus say? You commit the iniquity in your heart. Because some of you would say, well, wait, hold on. I don't steal. Some of you would say, well, I, I've never murdered. Thou shalt not kill. I've never killed anybody. Wait, wait, lust? What are you talking about? I have never, I've been faithful to my spouse. Jesus always goes back to the heart. You commit the lust, the cheating, the stealing, whatever it is here, it's the same as doing it outwardly because it all starts in the heart, which is why God has written this better covenant upon our hearts. It's the reason why in His Word He has promised to remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Brothers and sisters, do not, do not allow our adversary to rob you. Because after all, he's really good at peddling guilt and a guilty heart cannot experience a better covenant. If you're too worried about what it is that you have done in the past or what you find yourself currently being entangled in sin-wise, do not let the guilt of our adversary keep you from experiencing a better covenant because a better covenant in Christ is full. It is overfilling with better promises. And after all, one of those promises is mercy. God has promised us that He has amnesia towards our sinfulness if we have faith in Jesus. But Satan, our adversary, he wants you to be focused on the past. He doesn't want you to focus on the promises that God has given us of a future. Remember, according to the new covenant, God states, and never forget this, I will remember their sins no more. Church, 
Can I get an amen for that amnesia? I mean, can we, can we all say amen like we're dying men and women that are in desperate need of a Savior? So can we get an amen for that type of amnesia? For God's mercy? That gives me great comfort. I don't know about you, but I'm not confident in my own work. In fact, my work on its own is rubbish. It is trash. But the work of Jesus is precious. It is perfect. It's the reason why in this sermon series we've titled it, Jesus, the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. It gets no better than Him. Now let's apply all that we've said this morning thus far to verses 8 through 12, which is actually quoted from Jeremiah 31. I think after we've stated what we've stated, you will have a better appreciation for what the Lord said through Jeremiah and then reminded the author of Hebrews to include here in chapter 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. See, I want to stop there really quick because let's not get this, you know, twisted. Let's not forget those who were brought out of Egypt, brought out of physical slavery, physical bondage, forgot along the way of what the Lord did for them. So when I told you from the outset of this sermon, we're talking to you this morning, I'm talking to myself, we can't forget that we do the same thing. See, my my concern for some of us is that we forgot the gospel. Some of us are forgetting grace, God's mercy. Some of us are forgetting what God has done for us. And if you think I'm not telling the truth, then why did the Israelites have the problem? You think it was just for them? You think they're the only ones? You think because we live in the year 2021, we're smarter? I don't think so. The Bible also tells us there's nothing new underneath the sun. We need these gospel reminders because as sinful men and women, we forget. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, because we forget and we're still forgetting. I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their inequities and I will remember their sins no more. Brothers and sisters, here at Villa's Grace, we don't have to teach each other about the Lord because His Spirit is in our hearts doing so. But what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ, we encourage one another in Him. And trust me, all of you know me. 
I know all of you. We all have blind spots. We all commit sins that we are unaware that we're actually committing. We all do it. How do you respond when those blind spots are brought to your attention? Do you want to be a church that acts like you already have it figured out, that you have forgotten? Or do you want to be a church that responds appropriately? Last night I was in a conversation. There was a lady who mentioned testimonies, and she was talking about how it's just testimonies are important, and it'd just be awesome to hear God's story about what he's done in an individual's life. Totally agree 100%. But it goes beyond that. Because unfortunately, too many people think testimonies are something that happened in the past. No. Testimonies are the past, the present, and the future. Not one of us has arrived yet. We are all on the journey towards sanctification, the process that God takes us through to make us holy. Our testimonies are ongoing. And the best way that you can share your testimony presently is to repent when sin is brought to your attention. But if sin is brought to your attention and you let it go in one year and out the other, you're not responding according to the gospel. I don't want to be part of a church that is okay with that happening. That's not why I'm here. I hope that's not why you're here. I hope you're here so you can be encouraged in Jesus because after all, every once in a while, we all need a good reminder, don't we? I know that I do. And I'm the one saying that when most of you would say, you're, no, you're the one that probably doesn't. Just because we automatically assume that the pastor is the one that you know, has it all figured out, which is furthest from the truth of anything that I think I've ever heard in my life. A lot of you are a great encouragement to me in this. And I want to be a great encouragement to you as well. So as Joe comes up and joins me, verse 13 predicts something that we touched on a little bit earlier. I just want to read verse 13 one more time. It states, He makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Brothers and sisters, again, he's talking about the temple. See, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. So after 70 A.D., there are no more priests. There are religions that have priests. How can you have a priest perform the function that's being talked about here in Hebrews if there's no temple? See, God's covenant written on our hearts reveals that we are now priests. Remember? One of the better promises, we now have intimacy with the Lord. We now know of His mercy because we've been forgiven in Jesus. I'd prefer to end by sharing this quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. I read this encounter and I, I, I couldn't do it justice. So I'm going to read exactly verbatim what he wrote. Spurgeon says this, he says, The ark was made of long-enduring gopher wood, but it has yielded to time. The veil was one of the most costly and durable fabrics, but yielded to the strain and was rent from top to bottom. This is when Jesus breathed his last breath and the veil was torn. That revealed that we now had access to God. There was nothing anymore separating us from God. Jesus, that middleman. The temple itself if it had not been destroyed by the enemy, 
must have grown gray with age, for time strikes with impartial hand, buildings both holy and profane. But see the doctrine of the cross of Christ. No time affects it. The message of salvation by grace is as fresh today as when Peter preached it at Pentecost. The great command, believe and live, has as much life-giving power about it as when it was first applied by the Holy Ghost. No time affects the promise of the Father, the merit of the blood of Jesus, or the energy of the Divine Spirit. Hence, our faith remains. Church, the question remains for us. Are you effectively embracing a better covenant that's been written on your heart each and every day? A better covenant that is eternal. So once again, this is what we're saying. One sentence to summarize everything that we've said. God has agreed that we can know of His mercy because our sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am so thankful for that mercy. Though none of us deserve it, God has agreed to give it to us, to extend it to us, as long as we accept what He has done for us through Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we can encourage each other in your truth, your good news of salvation. I pray that when it's done, it is done appropriately. I, done, I pray that it's also done so no offense is taken. I pray that it's nothing but encouragement in the person and work of Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.